I'd like to welcome every, everyone uh, today to the Missionary Forum. Before we begin, let's all just bow for prayer. Dear Father, we are so thankful that we have this opportunity to look into the mission field to see what you have been doing. Father, we pray for thy presence here with us, that we would be inspired by the testimonies, by the experiences. And Father, as we are able to witness all the work that you're doing on the various mission fields, Father, we pray that most of all it would impact us, that our hearts would be changed, that our viewpoint would be different, that we would desire to get involved. We thank you in advance, in Jesus' name, amen. So for today's missionary forum, we have a lot, uh, a lot of different clips from the various missions, uh, so things are going to be moving very quickly. I'm very thankful that we have uh, a lot of video clips from the various missions, and we have some people that would like to share some experiences uh, from traveling there. Now, the Bible gives us uh, a lot of encouragement to be, get involved in mission activity. And, of course, there's many verses that we can look at. Uh, the one that really stood out to me is the one in Timothy that says, Charge them that are rich in this world that they be not high-minded, nor trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God who giveth us richly all things to enjoy. And here's now the action items. That they do good, that they be willing that to be rich in good works, ready to distribute, willing to communicate. Now, you may be wondering, why are we using this verse, charge them that are rich? Well, if you look at the uh, world poverty statistics, you see that 20% of the world lives on less than $1 a day, and more than 50% of the world lives on less than $2 a day. So you can imagine that that scripture applies directly to us, because certainly, in comparison, we are rich. <clears throat> Missions are making a difference in the world. Now, we may not see as much poverty around us here in North America, but certainly there are many parts in the world where uh, just getting by, having enough food for the day, uh, getting an education is a real challenge. And so we'd like to uh, go through some of the missions to see what difference they are making in the part of the world that they are in. My wife and I were very fortunate to travel to Green Olive Tree Ministry, and um, we were there in January of this year, and we'd like to show you a video clip of uh, the mission work there. Green Olive Tree Ministry is located in Pombus. This is just outside of Recife. That's in the northeastern part of Brazil. And, of course, Brazil is a very large country, so they're pretty isolated. The town of Pombus itself is located in a part of Brazil. Well, most of Brazil is actually very beautiful, but this part of Brazil here in Pombos, a town of about 25,000 people, is very poor. And as you can see on the video, the, there's a lot of unemployment. You can see people standing around. They really don't have a lot of money. Most of them run around with just uh, shorts on, the little kids. The houses are small, typically one or two-room houses, built side-by-side, side, dirt roads, um, uh, typically impassable by a car or any motorized vehicle except perhaps a dirt bike. Um, often uh, they get by with walking on foot. And this is where uh, the Freeman family felt the Lord calling them 13 years ago to this small, small town in Pombus. And here is the Freeman family, Brent and Debbie, and uh, their children. Now they have four children of their own and 17 children um, that they've either adopted or fostered. And that is their ministry here in Brazil, is to take uh, children that are ab abused and abandoned and raise them as their own in a family atmosphere. So it's an orphanage, but in a family atmosphere. And as you can see, the children are all uh, different of ethnic um, roots. And each one of them has a story behind why they were adopted. Now, this is not the only ministry that the Freeman family does. Uh, Debbie, uh, is, uh, Debbie and Brent established a school for the children in the area because the illiteracy rate was on the order of 80%. And uh, she was making her rounds here, measuring the children for their school uniforms because most of them do not have clothes that are, they're able to wear to school. And uh, she goes around, and now they offer the, the school free to the children because they would not otherwise be able to afford to go. She also is a nurse by profession, and so as her travel, she goes around to visit the various um, houses for the people in need. She comes upon uh, children that are sick, and in this case, this child was sick, had a lot of phlegm, and so she, as a nurse, she uh, tries to help. 
Now the school itself, the, uh, they have children from grade one to grade four. There's about 70 of them. They've hired a few teachers and they are accredited by the government. Now, as you can imagine, with 21 children, you have your own choir. And so they uh, start their meals, every meal with a song. Freeman family, they live on a farm. They have a number of different uh, animals and they have here, they're feeding the goats, of course the children, they all have chores. They get up at uh, 5.30 every morning uh, and uh, they do their chores. And uh, we'd like to uh, share a testimony of the one of the children there. This young boy here, his name is Luciano. He is blind. And uh, a number of years ago when he was, uh, when he was born, his father was not mentally, was, had a mental illness, and they didn't take care of Luciano very well. Of course, as a special needs child being blind, uh, they did not take care of him. And he was in and out of the hospitals n a number of times until the social workers there, uh, when he was four years old, realized that if they sent him back once more to the home, um, that he would probably not make it. He would probably die there. He had a number of infections in his eyes. And so they asked the Freeman family if they'd be willing to take Luciano in. And so they prayed about it and felt that, yes, they should do that. And the day before Luciano arrived, they blindfolded all the children and had them go about their day's activities being blindfolded so they can identify with what it's like to be blind. And when Luciano arrived, now you have to realize that at four years old, Luciano pretty much just sat in the corner huddled there and would just rock back and forth. And the doctor thought that he had, uh, had autistic tendencies. He was nonverbal, could not communicate at four years old. When they brought him to the home, and because of the love that the children showed him, they took him around and showed him things and, and welcomed him into their family. Within a few weeks, he was speaking English. Um, he had never spoken before. And now he's 10 years old. He is just like one of the children. They don't treat him any differently than the rest. In fact, uh, you know, he has his own chores here. You can see as he feels around uh, for the food for the, for the goats. And um, in fact, he's one of the bravest children there. Often the children, uh, when they go swimming in a place they've never been before, they ask Luciana to go check it out for them because they're a little bit too scared. They don't know what's in the water. But since he's blind, <laughs> he goes and does it no problem. And it's just amazing. I mean, Brazil is very mountainous, very hilly. It's not flat. And the, the way he can get around is, is incredible. Another two of the boys, uh, Ezekiel and Ezekiel, um, as you see on the screen here, they're 12 years old, and when Brent and Debbie first came to Pombus, uh, they purchased their farm there, and news got out that, oh, the Americans have come, and some neighbors to uh, Ezekiel and Ezekiel, or Kias and Kiel is their short form, came to the Freeman home and said, there's two babies and our neighbors are just crying. As you saw the houses, they're side by side. So you hear everything what's going on in the next house. Can you please come and help? They just don't stop crying. So Debbie, being a nurse, went to the home and offered her services. Can I help? Oh, yes, come in the back room. Here are the kids. And they were uh, malnourished, uh, crying all the time. She took them into her own home, nurtured them back to health. And what she didn't realize is that the parents actually wanted to kill them. Of course, you can't outright murder them. You go to jail for that. And so they were trying to starve them. Uh, and that's why they were in the back room crying. And the parents were happy to give them up because it's bad luck to have somebody die in your home. Well, when they came back healthy, the parents didn't want them. They said, it's not our problem. You, <laughs> you take them. So they uh, took them into their home. And as you can see, they've grown up to be young men. They're happy. They um, happen to be Darlene and I's, my favorite. Um, <laughs> 
and they also help with the chores. And you can imagine that if Brent and Debbie were not there, these boys would have died. And as you can see, boys, they have lots of energy and they, they love climbing trees. This is the time where Debbie goes inside. She doesn't like watching them do this, but they have uh, um, coconut trees there. And so the boys go up to get the coconuts down. And uh, even uh, Luciano himself goes up there. I don't know exactly how he finds which coconuts are ripe or not, but somehow they, uh, they're able to find them. They have a number of different fruit trees on the farm. Oh, I didn't even see him way up there. So how many, how many boys can you fit in a tree? Well, at least four. In my pocket. So it made me a little bit nervous even filming this. So as you can see, they are full of life. So they're... Uh, they, of course, have a church there that they've established also on the farm. And normally, the language they speak on the farm with the children is English. Now, the community doesn't know any English. It's all Portuguese there. But of course, their church service is exclusively in Portuguese because their ministry is to the people there. So the songs that they sing, simple, a cappella, songs you and I are familiar with. Um, and uh, their church service, they have a number of women that are coming. Generally, the ministry seems to be more effective to the women and doesn't seem to be just a Brazilian cultural thing. We've seen that in uh, other countries as well, where the women seem to be more receptive, at least initially, uh, compared with the men. So Debbie has a Bible study that uh, she has with the women uh, during the week as well. Now, the Freeman family have felt that the Lord leading them to purchase another property, which they've called Laban's House, or in other words, House of Life in German. This is a farm that uh, has uh, 92 acres, and they'd like to move their family from the current location because they also have the school, the church there, and they've outgrown that property, and they're moving to this one. They're doing some construction to expand the houses to accommodate their family, and they would like to then adopt or foster additional children because some of their children would like to continue the ministry and expand the ministry. Now, as uh, the farm has a number of horses, uh, they were able to get a very a good deal. The, the person that was selling it, when they heard what they were going to use the farm for, uh, he significantly reduced the price and also left the horses on the farm. And Benjamin, who is the oldest, would like to work with the horses to be as a ministry. And I'll get into a little bit more details why horses are such um, uh, are very effective to use in ministry when we talk about the home at Nepomuceno. And so the Freeman family there, large family, are making a significant difference in that area of Brazil. Now, some of the needs that uh, the Freeman family would have is certainly funds to continue the work that's going on there as they're expanding the, the property, the new construction work, uh, funds for the school, for the children, and of course, probably most importantly, is the prayer for the ministry that's happening there. All of this would really not be very effective if the Lord would not be blessing it. And they love to have more visitors. They want, uh, because it's so uh, far out of the way, most people don't really visit. A lot of people go to CLM and other places, but they'd love to have additional uh, visitors. And Lord willing, the family is planning to be here. In fact, they are, some of them are here. Um, but in September and October, they'd like to travel to a number of the churches. We'd like to encourage you, if they come to your church, Come and hear them. Come and meet them. Uh, there's nothing more discouraging than coming to a church of perhaps 100 or 200 uh, people and only 20 show up if the family comes to visit and has a special presentation. So we'd like to encourage you um, to uh, attend their presentation. We're also very fortunate to have a video from Papua New Guinea. Um, and uh, it's just a, a footage of just the overall ministry of what, what's been happening in Papua New Guinea. Papua New Guinea, a breathtaking country, in a remote corner of the world, 
a heart place to get to, not for the faint-hearted, yet a place where God has chosen to multiply his faithful followers. Since the founding in 1961, 43 years have quickly elapsed. The Papua New Guinea Church has enjoyed a period of huge growth in numbers and in quality. The old ways of animal sacrifice to the spirits have been largely replaced by a genuine faith in Christ and a commitment to live for Him. Old traditions have given way to a new fervor to march after Christ. Through the efforts of the early missionaries and later through a committed group of local pastors, spiritual fire has spread out from the original Tiliba mission to other parts of PNG with many requests to establish new churches in yet unreached areas. The PNG Church's 43-year anniversary celebration was held in May of 2004. It was attended by former missionaries, political and church leaders, and tens of thousands of local believers, the fruit from many years of labor. The celebrations were marked by heartfelt praise and thanks to the Lord. Literacy graduates eagerly received their new Bibles. The former missionaries were recognized and honored for their role in bringing the gospel to this remote corner. One of the celebrations was held in such a remote location it required special transportation. The week of celebration was a beautiful praise offering to God for His faithfulness over the years. The Papua New Guinea Church has thrived largely without the assistance of American missionaries for the past decade. The economy of PNG suffers and the people are poor, yet the light of the gospel continues to shine. The eyes of the people are open to the promise of a brighter future. The people of PNG need your help. The gospel work is going on, but the financial means are lacking. We were humbled by one old woman dressed in rags who came and knelt before us with tears spilling out of her eyes. She carefully unwound several layers of wrappings and pulled out a tattered old wallet. She fished out several coins and pressed them into our hands, saying, Please take these small tokens in thanks for bringing us the gospel. Now I have a place in heaven. She gave everything she had in thanks for her eternal salvation. What about you? Would you be willing to give all you have in gratitude for all that God has done for you? Papua New Guinea is on the other side of the world, but let us not forget them. God is continuing to build His church in PNG without Western personnel, but they need our continuing financial partnership. Please consider how you can adjust your regular giving to include PNG or make a generous contribution today. very thankful to have Sister Elsie Schlatter here to share a few words from Papua New Guinea. Thank you. It's just a real joy to be here and um, to have the privilege of sharing here. I think that the video we just saw uh, says a lot. It's been a privilege to have been there in the beginning and to be able to plant seeds and now see the fruit come up. And all of you that have prayed and shared have been a part of that. Um, I think that all of us like to know about the children and grandchildren and great-grandchildren and how they're doing, how they're getting along in life. And I think that that's our hearts right now is the joy that we see. A lot of these that you saw in the film would be the... Um, grandchildren and great-grandchildren of the first people we ministered to when we went there. And it's a privilege to be able just to go back. We were there in December. We spend about one month every year there just to see how the children are doing and the families growing. And so we just thank the Lord that we see 
spiritual um, depth that we didn't see, of course, in the early days. And it's just uh, a special joy just to see that the children and grandchildren are doing well. Uh, so I guess probably the big thing is, is that even though there are no more full-time missionaries there, they still need to know that we're remembering them, that we haven't forgotten them. And I think about the verse from John 4, uh, verse 35, Do you not say four months more and then the harvest? I tell you, open your eyes and look at the fields. They are ripe for harvest. And we don't know how much more time the Lord's going to give us before he comes back. There are still, uh, we can still give an offering of praise to, uh, to the Lord for what he's done there, of prayer for the depth of the Spirit to continue the ministry there, and for new believers as they come, uh, there's just an ongoing work there, and we can continue to help financially as the Spirit gives us direction. So we thank you for everybody that's yet a part of this family, and we just praise God for the fruit that we see coming up. Bless you all. Thank you. Thank you, Sister Elsie. Next, we'd like to uh, have an update from CLM, Operation Prayer. I'd like to call up Sister Amanda. Uh, for those of you who don't know me, my name is Amanda Gutai. I'm from Mansfield. Um, I've been to CLM twice, and I actually will be leaving with a group a week from tomorrow, so I'm excited about that. But also, I am the Operation Prayer Coordinator for ICFG and for all of you. Um, we set up a program, I don't even know how long ago, to connect us with the children at CLM to pray for them, to do what God commands us in the Bible, to help the orphans and to help the children and to spread God's word. There are three facets of Operation Prayer. Uh, the first one is, of course, financial need, where you could pick one specific child and give them a certain amount of money each month to help them with their needs. The second is a weekly email that Mary sends out that you can be a prayer warrior to pray for the children, to pray for the, the staff and what's going on there, and just lift those, those prayers up to God for that. The third part is actually one of my favorite parts that I've done for a long time is to be a prayer pal, and that would be picking a child, and I actually brought the album if you want to look through, if you're interested in this. Pick a child, there's a history, a picture, and start writing to them, start praying for them. You know, they get so excited about, you know, a friend that they have in the States that they've never met, but someone that loves them when they don't know a lot of love in their lives to begin with. And um, before I turn it over to these two that are going to share just a little bit about their experience with Operation Prayer and what it's done in their lives, I wanted to let any current Operation or Prayer Pals know that if you have a letter, if you haven't written in a while, or if you want to send anything or a letter or anything like that, just get it to me by the end of the week, and I'll take it down. I'll save you the postage. So. You're probably wondering, why is Christine Cray standing up on stage on Missionary Day? I'm not an official missionary, but I am on a mission to get all of you to adopt a Brazilian pen pal from CLM. My current pen pal is Rosanilda, who at six years old witnessed her mother's murder by her father's hand. Can you even imagine how tragic her young life is? She was rescued by CLM and through correspondence has become a great blessing in my life. Adopt a pen pal today and your life will change forever. Going along with what Chris said, um, my pen pal is a four-year-old named Val. Um, she came from a similar situation and I've been um, praying for her and writing to her for the last year. And there's nothing better than stopping from the busyness of our own lives to really remember what reality is and to remember that there are people that have it so much worse than we do. We get so caught up in um, our busy lives and, and um, sometimes the devil gets us into a rut and it, he makes us pity ourselves, at least I get caught in that. And um, it's, it's awesome to see this little girl send me pictures, colorful pictures with smiling faces and 
I think of where she came from, and I just, um, it's an encouragement to me. And um, I hope and pray that you guys would also feel encouraged to um, start praying for them. And I know you pray for them, but um, God honors specific prayers. So if you were to specifically name um, a child and, and write to them and even the older ones, um, I know that it's an, an encouragement to those who are reading to the four-year-old also that we are writing. So I just pray that you would um, listen to God as he lays that upon your heart. I failed to mention that I do have the book and I also have sign-up sheets. I'll have them up here just at the end of the presentation then they'll be in the bottom by the cafeteria as you enter those doors. I'll leave it there the rest of the week if anyone's interested or you can talk to me. Thank you. Thank you for sharing those thoughts and those experiences. Next, we'd like to show a, a short video clip of the work team. As many of you remember, last year uh, there was a work team planned for Paraguay. Uh, there was some money raised here at camp, and we'd like to show uh, some video clips from that work team.
want to share with you very briefly that with God's help, I believe our effort last year was a success. I want to thank the Lord first of all, but also all of you that prayed for the work team going down and the many that did contribute to the funds necessary to do some of the work that we were able to do. It was a very interesting experience working together as a team, getting down there and, and really, um, you know, nothing was really ready. If you're planning a, a work team, things don't always go as you expect them or you don't find things the way you expect them. Just briefly thinking about it, I remember my dad telling me um, when they were taken um, near the end of the war into a prison camp, when they arrived there, there was nothing to work with, no tools. They had to do everything by scratch. Well, when the brothers, uh, when we got to the Sahonia church to start the work there, there was nothing to work with, not even a screwdriver. So I went out to buy some tools, um, basic tools for them to work. By the time I got back, they had literally ripped down the old church, um, half of it with their bare hands. But the whole experience was really neat. Another neat part of the experience was just working with um, the workers, uh, both the members and others that they had hired in Paraguay to do the work. We couldn't communicate very well um, audibly, but with, uh, with our hands um, and signals, uh, we're able to work together. And it was a real blessing to see, um, and it wasn't so much that we did all that much work, although we did work hard, but just to see that the whole project was revived and on our departure, things were going ahead and um, seeing some recent pictures uh, since then, the church is uh, nearing completion. Both of the churches are usable. There's still work to be done. I believe there's more funds that are needed, but it was a real blessing um, to be a part of that. Another added blessing is that some of the team members um, are participating in the team that you'll hear about a little bit later that's going to Takati. And it's just really neat, uh, as I think about it, that last year we had one work team. This year there's two work teams that are going out, one to Mexico, one to um, Brazil. Um, perhaps uh, next year we can see four teams. That would be really great. Thank you again. Thank you, Brother Werner. Next we'd like to share a little bit from the home in Nepomuceno in Brazil. Um, Nathaniel and Deborah are the directors there. They themselves uh, are not able to have children, and they felt the Lord calling them to the home, and they then are now, they found themselves now parents to 40 children. We'd like to show some video clip uh, from the home. Nepomuceno is... Uh, in the middle red dot there, just a few hours north of Sao Paulo. That's probably about a 12-hour drive from CLM, which is south, and uh, Pombus, which is in the top right-hand corner, is about a 36-hour drive away. Nepomuceno, again, is in a beautiful section of Brazil, very mountainous, and uh, they actually have the home right in the center of the valley there. And uh, the home is... Um, they have the where the boys sleep. They have a dining room, laundry room, uh, workers' quarters... Uh, they live on a farm. It's about uh, uh, 90 acres. Here's the, the boys' dorm here. Um, they live about four kilometers or four miles outside of town, just on a dirt road here. Um, and, of course, the, the children go to school in town. What's your name? Nome? Lucas. Lucas. Bruno. Bruno. Jefferson. Now, each of the children, of course, come from also abused and abandoned background. This young boy in the front uh, with the blue shorts, his name is uh, Frederico, and his background, uh, the, the home, he comes from a family of uh, 11 children, and the home, the children there, went to a nearby city to put on an evangelistic program. And while they were there, his mother came with a, to him and another sibling, and she is mentally ill and high. She was uh, on drugs, and she was very disturbed by the program. She went and threw, her, uh, threw Frederico into the river, hoping to drown him. Now, we're thankful somebody uh, was able to rescue him, and uh, he was hurt in the process and uh, was brought back. 
to the police, and the police then took all rights away from the mother, and he came to the home. Now, he's only six years old, but he looks, he was about as high as a three-year-old. Now, here's Nathaniel in the, um, the dining room. All the boys are here. They get up at six o'clock um, to do their work, and uh, here Nathaniel has devotion with them, as well as assigning the work for the day uh, during the summer holidays. Uh, they start work at uh, six in the morning. And they get up at 6 in the morning, have breakfast, and have devotions, and then they're out uh, working on the farm at 7, and they work uh, for the entire morning and part of the afternoon. Now, most of the boys, uh, uh, most of them are boys, and they're mostly older. Now, each one of them has their own chore, um, their own section that they work with. Some work in the kitchen here. They do have uh, two full-time cooks. Of course, cooking for 40 boys and the staff is uh, no small task. They uh, typically use uh, a gas stove like that. They, they do baking and mostly uh, a diet of vegetables. Uh, they eat very little meat. Um, the, uh, nearby, um, they have a nearby chicken farm that donates uh, uh, 40 dozen eggs per week, and uh, that doesn't last the whole week. Uh, so the children here help with the cooks. They do the serving. They do help with the cooking, the cleanup. Um, and they switch every couple of weeks in their, in their duties. Of course, their staple items there are uh, beans and rice. Big wood pile. <clears throat> now, they, have, uh, they, they do have a wood stove there that they use often for the cooking. Now, they... Um, So they get demerit points, and then they have to cut wood. Uh, for every five demerit points, it's an hour of cutting wood. And they have plenty of supply for their stove. That's the way they teach discipline. This uh, young man here riding on the bike, his name is uh, Bruno. And Bruno comes from a background where his father died at an early age in a tractor accident. His mother um, was an alcoholic, also uh, not really fit to be a mother. And as such, Bruno was uh, mostly on the streets. And being on the streets, he uh, not only learned the ways of the streets, but also was abused both physically and sexually. And uh, eventually, finally, when the mother actually threatened to kill him, uh, that's when the authorities took action and took away her rights and brought uh, Bruno to the home. Now, Bruno is uh, 14 years old. He just recently gave his life to the Lord. And even with such a, a traumatic background, um, he's a very happy child. Um, he's uh, received the love and the nurturing from the home. And of course, now that he's given his life to the Lord, has experienced the regeneration and the, the peace of God. And this is just one example of the work that is going on there. Many of the children come from similar type backgrounds. And with that kind of background, they often, if it were not for the love and nurture at the home, they would um, continue in that cycle of sin uh, to the next generation. Here's one of the boys working in the shop that they have. They uh, have the bamboo that they cut into strips, and they use that to make furniture, um, chairs and shells and things of that nature. Other boys are, are given the task to work uh, with the plants. They uh, have a little greenhouse that, uh, it's not really a greenhouse, just a plastic top there where they start their plants. Uh, they try to be as self-sufficient as possible to plant their uh, crops, so they start them out here. Now, generally, it's a little bit scary on some of the tools they use. You can't exactly tell from the video, but that uh, um, hoe he's using is not exactly fastened very well to the handle and has flew off a number of times. I was uh, uh, debating whether I should leave before I get hit. <laughs> Um, but each of the boys have their tasks. There's minimal supervision, and uh, they seem to be uh, very well behaved. Uh, I was uh, very impressed with uh, the way Nathaniel and Deborah are able to train the children in that. So these boys in the background here, their task was to uh, take some of the vegetables or leaves that they have picked and pick off the leaves for um, some herb. This boy here was um, digging for expansion of the of a barn that they have for their animals. Um, so they have a range of boys all the way up to uh, 20 years old from the youngest of about uh, three. They also have some fish uh, ponds on the property. They raise fish, of course, for food as well. A very interesting method of catching the fish. They stock it all, and when the fish are big enough, they drain the pond most of the way and have fish for three weeks straight. Um,
So you notice that there's a lot of green here. This is during their rainy season. Um, they have their own gardens, and uh, of course, some of the boys are assigned to hoe the gardens, plant the, uh, plant the plants, and, uh, and also harvest the, the fruit and the vegetables uh, that they get from that. They do some irrigation, as you can see there, during the rainy season, they don't need it, but during their dry season, uh, they do need it. Now, they do have some horses there. This uh, young man in the red shorts there, his name is Luis Carlos. He came to the home when he was 14 years old. Now, Luis Carlos came from a very rough background, was a very difficult child. In fact, Nathaniel said that was the most difficult child he had to deal with. Demera points would make no difference to Luis Carlos. You could, he could chop wood all day. Um, it didn't make a difference. And finally, Nathaniel realized that Luis Carlos loved to work with animals. And so his punishment was he's not allowed to work with animals. If he's bad, you know, two days, you can't go see the animals. And that was, you know, right away he straightened up. <laughs> and uh, Luis Carlos is now 18 years old. He has given his life to the Lord. He is a completely different person. He is responsible now for all the animals on the farm. Uh, and he gets up 4.30 every morning, milk the cows, uh, take care of the, the rest of the animals and a very hard worker. So it's just incredible to see the work that God has done in his heart through the home in, uh, in Nepomuceno. Now, the, as I had mentioned earlier about the horses, they work with horses. At first, when I went there, I thought, why have horses? They eat. They don't really use the horses for work. But it's one of the very... Um, powerful ways that uh, as the children suffer abuse, a way to, for the healing process to occur. Generally, in, um, when the boys have suffered abuse, they don't know how to relate well to other people. They're violent to others because that's all they've learned. If they learn to love animals and work with them and care for them, they generally begin to love and care people as well. And so that's why they use not only the, the horses here on the farm, uh, to encourage that, but also in green olive tree ministry. It's, it's part of the healing process. Of course, each one of the boys has a story behind them, but we don't have time to share uh, each of those experiences with you. The needs at Nepomuceno, of course, is prayer for the children. It's a spiritual work that is going on there, and they'd like to have short-term help. Now, none of them know English there. It's only Portuguese. Uh, it's, not, uh, it's a little bit different uh, atmosphere than CLM. And regular monthly support is important. In order to take in additional children, um, they need funds in order to do that. Now we'd like to switch our focus a little bit to something that uh, is domestic, something that happened here uh, in our country close to, our, close to Kitchener. And we'd like to show a short video clip of that. Police in Ontario's Niagara region call it a horrific loss, a tragedy beyond imagination. Just before midnight, fire destroyed a farmhouse, killing eight people, a 39-year-old woman and her seven children. Just three days ago, Mark Worland buried his entire family, his seven children, and his wife Monica, pregnant with their eighth child. All of them died last Monday in a fire that raced through their Century farmhouse in West Lincoln, Ontario. Worland was away from home in Ottawa, planning his family's upcoming move there. Now he's facing a future without them. They I feel I owe, I owe the community and, and all my friends and all, all, the, all the ones that have had such a generous heart and an outstretched hand. I've, I've, I need to tell them that I, I need to tell everybody that, that they've been, that I, 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 I'm thankful for, for their help and their support and their generosity and people need to know that 
I don't take this lightly. My wife was and children were wonderful people and they would want to thank them too. How does one help a man who has lost his entire family? There's a group in, in Kitchener that felt uh, that they would ask the family if there was something that we could do for them, and uh, a group was able to provide a meal to help at the funeral, as well as uh, since he had lost his entire home and all the contents uh, as well, he asked just for a laptop because he was planning to travel, to get away from the media attention, and to refocus. And so we purchased a, a laptop computer for him, and he traveled into Europe because one of the things he wanted to do in refocusing was to focus on the needs of others, to get the focus off of him. He did not want to get into self-pity, and he was in Russia. He met a lot of people that had great need there. He was there for a number of months, and uh, he came back, and the healing process has begun. And this is just an example of someone in the community that had tremendous need. This was actually a cousin of Chris and Ruth Cattle, but someone who we did not know beforehand. And this is, we know that um, this is not to praise anyone Planet who helped Green. in that in Kitchener, but just to give an example of someone who has suffered a tremendous need. We don't have to go to a foreign country to witness needs. And we want to encourage everyone to look out in your own community to see who you can help. Perhaps it is more of a one-time thing where you can help in a situation like this, of course, many of us continue to pray for Mark. It's a significant um, loss that he's had. But there are other things that may be ongoing needs. And this year, we don't really have too much on domestic content because um, we aren't aware of too many things that are happening outside of the church. Now, if there is, we'd like to hear about it, and we'd like to encourage that. The uh, Eastern Missionary Committee has been formed uh, with the brothers that would like to encourage not only foreign mission work, but also domestic. So if you have an idea, if you'd like to do something, would like some help or some endorsement or something, uh, you can approach any one of these brothers for that. Some of the things that are happening uh, in the upcoming uh, months, uh, as was mentioned, there's two work teams that are happening, and uh, there may be other things, we're just not aware of them. And again, we'd like to hear about them uh, so that we can encourage others as well. I'd like to thank every one of you that has partnered either financially, has prayed for the missions, who has perhaps have gone there on a short-term mission trip to, to continue in that. And I'd like to issue a challenge um, for closing. The scripture tells us that, What doth it profit, my brethren, though a man say he hath faith and have not works? Can faith save him? If a brother or sister be naked and be destitute of daily food, and one of you say unto them, Depart in peace, be ye warmed and filled, notwithstanding, ye give them not those things which are needful to the body. What doth it profit? Faith without works is dead, and we've seen the needs in front of us. And we'd like to challenge each of you, ask in the, in the upcoming year, how is God challenging you? Is he perhaps asking you to continue to partner financially? Is he going to perhaps ask you to go on a short-term mission trip? Is he going to ask you to reach out in your own community in a need that he has brought to your mind, has brought across your path? Whatever it would be, we pray that you would open up your heart to that and obey the Spirit's voice. And even as the Lord has said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. And truly, when you are involved in helping others, you will see that that statement is true. We thank each of you for coming and for closing. We'd like to call uh, Brother Werner to have, have a closing prayer. Yes, thank you. I forgot, uh, there is a, a video from CLM. For those who would like to share it with others, um, it will be available outside the lunchroom today. I believe there's about 100 of them, um, so please feel free to take them. But uh, please only take them if you are going to use them because we are uh, limited by the short supply. May we all arise for prayer.
Heavenly Father, we are so thankful that we can be here this week at camp. Thankful that we can learn about your kingdom, your kingdom in us and in all the world. And thankful also that we can, could learn this morning about your kingdom expanding in different parts of the world. We do pray, Heavenly Father, and lift up our missionaries in the various missions around the world that you would continue to bless the efforts that are being made to reach the lost with the gospel message, to reach the hurting and those that are in distressing situations and to help them and to lift them up. We know that your desire is to heal the brokenhearted and to bring the good news of the gospel to all those that need to hear it. We also want to lift up the work teams that will be going to, to Mexico and to Brazil. We pray, Heavenly Father, that you would provide protection for them, that the teams would be able to work well together, and that you would bless the work that they will be able to do, and that each of them would grow through this experience. We also pray, Heavenly Father, that you would open our eyes, each one, that we would see the needs that are all around us, that you would give us the grace that we would move out of our comfort zones and meet those needs, and thereby that we would also be doing the work of the kingdom. Continue with us in this week. We ask for your continued blessing and guidance and your protection in Jesus' name. Amen.